Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for well-qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Welcome to Sunday Take for February 4th, 2024. I'm your host, Blois Olson, and we are a week and a couple days away from the launch and start of the legislative session. It will start February 12th. And so over the next few months, we will be talking a lot about the legislature and the issues of the week. And so we're going to start this week with one that is emotional. It is controversial. uh, And you're going to hear more about it at the legislature this year because there's a big push. And that is issues of end of life, choosing to die at the end of your life. And I I want to put it that way because the term assisted suicide, palliative care, hospice, until you or a family member are there, you don't necessarily, I think, process what this might mean. But there are two sides, very distinctly, one for and one opposed changing Minnesota law to a law physician-assisted speeding up the end of life. And we'll talk to both of those sides this week. But as we start to look at the session, which will be the topic of the take, we have to look at the dynamics. And on Friday, the dynamics changed again. Senate Majority Leader Carrie Dietzik announced that she is stepping down as Majority Leader due to new information and unfortunate diagnosis with her cancer. She was diagnosed after being elected majority leader. She went through chemo treatments while in session last year. She's a warrior. People saw it. People witnessed it. But now she's got some more tough news and she's got a fight on her hands. So first and foremost, our thoughts are with Majority Leader Dietzik, thinking about her. Uh, but then also the idea that um, that changes the dynamics in the DFL caucus, which only has a one-seat majority. And so who's the next majority leader? And that will also determine who the chairs are. And I think a week out, Democrats are going to do as little as possible to disrupt a system that works, but they already had some internal battles and personality fights and issue fights related to the Palestinian war and Hamas's attack on Israel that has been open laundry. It's been out in the open, hanging for everybody to see it. 
And so over these next few weeks, as we look at these legislative issues, just know that whether it's sports betting, which full disclosure I'm working on, a bonding bill, uh, nurses, or other issues that pop, we're going to try to cover them in a thoughtful way week by week, depending on what's most timely. But know that the legislative process is such that any week, any issue can flare up and become the issue of the week. So when we come back, we're going to cover the issue of end of life. Should Minnesota allow end of life assistance of death or not? I'm Blois Solson. This is Sunday Take on News Talk 830 WCCO. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. My first guest this week on Sunday Take as we explore the end of life issues and discussion and conversation that is happening at our Capitol is Rebecca Thoman. She's with Compassion and Choices, uh, and they're the leading group advocating for end of life options or assisted suicide in this session. Uh, and Rebecca joins me now. Rebecca, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. But I, I just want to clarify that assisted suicide is not the right terminology. Okay. Um, the process is actually medical aid in dying, and it's very different from suicide because these people are dying. They're at the end of their life. I appreciate that. And I think, you know, as I said in the opening of the show, I feel like these end of life discussions and conversations, and I hesitate to even use the word debate because it's, it seems like such a personal decision um, that the, it is evolved so much. I mean, I remember the nineties and uh, you know, the national discussion and debate in Michigan and um, Dr. Kevorkian and things like that. So when you start to change the terminology, I think, you know, that probably lends itself better to this conversation um, and what you're trying to get across. 
talk about compassion and choices and, and, and the legislation you are advocating for and have, have pushed forward this year? Sure. So Compassion and Choices is a national nonprofit. We work on to improve care, expand options, and empower people at the end of life. And so we've introduced the Minnesota End of Life Options Act, which is modeled after the 1997 Oregon Death with Dignity Law. It has a very specific, um, it's a very specific medical practice that allows a terminally ill adult who has a six-month prognosis or less and has full decision-making capacity, the opportunity to ask for and receive a medication that they can then self-ingest for a peaceful death. So this would not apply to people, for example, with dementia. You have okay. to have full volition and decision-making process. It's uh, also not euthanasia because there are no injections. This is not like what we do to our pets. This is really patient-driven, individual request, individual um, ingestion of the medication from start to begin, from start to finish. And then two uh, clinicians, either two physicians or a physician and nurse practitioner, evaluate the patient, assess them, be sure that they qualify, be sure they know all of their options, preferably have them in hospice. It's not required, but that would be the gold standard so that they're receiving maximum comfort care. Um, and then walking through all of the process with them so they understand, um, you know, what they'll be going through. And then getting some documentation of the request and uh, submitting some forms also. So there's a tracking mechanism and two doctors have to be involved. So as you start to explain it like that and you clarify language and options and, and how people go about it, um, if this is modeled after other states, what do we know from these other states? What do we know from other countries where this has been an option? And, and why is it time for Minnesota to have this option? Well, that's a really good question. I, I think that we don't need to speculate. We can look at the 24 years alone of experience and data from Oregon, as well as the 10 other states now, plus the District of Columbia that have been doing this for many years. And what we know from that data is that the people who tend to use medical aid in dying are dying of end-stage cancers or ALS or other neurodegenerative disorders or some heart and lung disease where the trajectory toward death is very predictable. The vast majority of them are enrolled in hospice and um, are, are looking to this as a peaceful alternative to some predictable suffering at the end of life. Why then, what is needed then? I mean, I had a, a parent go through hospice. Mm -hmm. uh, they got their own choices, whether to take their medicine or not. And ultimately not taking their medicine was likely to be the, you know, the cause of death and, and, you know, those kinds of things. So what specifically is different here that either advances it and how many, do we have any estimates of, kind of how many people a year or, or what, what, kind of numbers we're talking about that would change their care? Well, you know, at the end of life, people make decisions all the time that may end up hastening their death. They may stop, discontinue uh, dialysis or some other life support mechanism that's keeping them alive. They might stop eating and drinking. So this is just another alternative for people who are in a situation where they're not dependent, perhaps, on mechanical support, and they would rather not go through the protracted experience of stopping eating and drinking. So it's really just another alternative. Um, in Oregon, 
25 years ago, it was 0.3% of all deaths in that state were from medical aid and dying. Fast forward, it's 0.6%. So it's a small number of people. It's We're talking hundreds. But there is a uh, there is actually a positive effect on everybody because we're all going to die. And there's really relief and comfort knowing that you have this option. You have a way out if things get bad. And that actually helps people have a better quality of life at the end. Rebecca Thoman is my guest. She is a leader at Compassion and Choices. They are the main advocates for the end of life uh, legislation that we're hearing a lot about and talking about. Uh, Rebecca, critics will say that, you know, this devalues life or it somehow changes the the discussion we have about life and options and choices. Obviously, this isn't the first state that's had this discussion or this debate. What What is it about this um, this two sides of the issue that there is common ground on or where um, it doesn't need to be a either or? Well, I think, you know, our culture is death phobic. And what we really need to do, especially within medicine, is to start understanding that death is a part of life and that when patients die, it is not a failure of physicians. Our job is to do everything we can to treat disease and to comfort people as they go through the end of life. What's important about this legislation is that nobody is required to participate, hence the name. It's optional. Some people, I know some people would never choose this. It would be outside of their uh, ethical or religious bounds. That's fine. Even providers, nobody has to participate. Uh, But right now, we've criminalized a doctor knowingly providing medication for a patient who intends to ingest it to end their suffering. And that's what we're trying to change because the government has criminalized this. We're now trying to carve out in a particular set of situations that I described, that is not a crime, that is not suicide. So not to kind of get too far ahead of ourselves here, but we've seen in so many cases of medical choice that you know, at a at a moment, it turns into litigation, or um, or some patient wants to do this, and you say providers don't have to do this. Providers and doctors have a lot of considerations. They may not want to do this, but it, do you think that you know? Have we seen a place where either a doctor refuses, and then it it turns into litigation or something more high profile? You know, if we look to the states where this has been going on for a while, it becomes very clear that there are groups, for example, there are some hospice organizations who embrace this process and will support patients through it and their doctors will. Others, especially religious institutions, will not. Um, In the larger institutions in California, like Kaiser, they have many, many employees and they know which doctors and which nurses participate, which pharmacists and which don't. And so these larger organizations should really have no problem Um, being able to move patients toward participating uh, clinicians and uh, away from those who are not. So that's really the method. That's what we have seen in other states. As we wrap here, um, there's obviously going to be very emotional stories, uh, very compelling stories. Are there physician groups that, um, that believe this is important now? What does the healthcare community feel about this issue? You know, I think if you um, 
if you survey doctors and many surveys of doctors have been done, the majority support this theoretically. They think medical aid in dying should be an option for terminally ill patients. Often when you tell them all of the parameters, the support may even go up. So most organizations, however, and the Minnesota Medical Association is a good example, um, they have people on both sides. So many of the medical associations are taking a neutral, what I would call engaged neutral. They're respecting they have people on both sides. They support people on both sides. They want to provide accurate education without passing judgment on physicians who participate or those who do not. Um, but we do know that there is still a small group uh, within every community, including the healthcare community, that's avidly opposed and will always be so. And that's why we feel they have that right. Um, everybody really should have the opportunity to make these choices for themselves at the end of life. Rebecca Thoman, thanks for joining me on the Sunday Take. Thanks so much. When we come back, former Senator Michelle Benchin, she'll talk about the other side of this issue and the discussion that she believes will happen at the Capitol. I'm Blaise Olson. You're listening to Sunday Take on News Talk 830 WCCO. My final guest this week on Sunday Take is former Senator Michelle Benson. She's in a new role, and she's here as an outreach coordinator for the Minnesota Alliance for Ethical Care. Um, and as I mentioned at the beginning of the show and as our last guest talked about is this discussion and uh, conversation and legislative uh, debate about end of life is here. And it's going to be one of those issues that gets talked about a lot. And as I reflected and said at the beginning of the show, it's it's one of those issues that has evolved over time. And, uh, and I hope to cover it that way uh, this week. So uh, former Senator Benson, thanks for joining me. I'm glad to be here. Thank you for having me. And first of all, um, I want to wish Senator Dietzik the very best. Um, it was a privilege to work with her. And I know she has dedicated her life to serving her constituents, the people of Minnesota. And I hope now she's taking some time uh, to fight cancer. Um, if anyone can do it, she can. And prayers from me and my family to her and her family. Yes, we mentioned that in the opening of the show. Uh, Senate Majority Leader Carrie Dietzik is stepping down. She's had uh, some new news, sad news about her cancer diagnosis. And so uh, we'll cover the politics about that in, in the coming weeks, but not today. Um, so as as this discussion, and I, I'm, I'm hard-pressed to call it a debate, although when there are two sides or multiple sides to an issue at the legislature, I feel like people are going to battle. And I go back to the nineties and the, the headlines and the controversy around end of life issues in states like Michigan. Senator Benson is a former Senator and working on behalf of the Minnesota Alliance for ethical care. What, what is this? What does your Alliance want to do? How do you guys see this discussion debate? And, you know, there are two sides on this issue and, and how do we have this conversation in, in a, in a thoughtful way? And thank you very much for that framing. Um, first of all, acknowledging that the end of life is always difficult. Someone is leaving and passing this veil. And so we know that this is not an easy conversation, highly personal um, for each individual family. Um, the, the Minnesota Alliance has been in existence for more than a decade, proposing solutions, as we say, real care for Minnesotans. 
as an alternative to physician-assisted suicide. We know that pain, worry about pain is a big factor. We know that worry about being a burden is a big factor. Worry about financial expenses and worry about loss of control are some key factors in why people think about physician-assisted suicide. But we know pain management has improved greatly. Um, we have worked with so many others to make hospice available, covered by insurance, covered by Medicare, covered by Medicaid, so that as you get to the end of life, you get that terminal diagnosis, you can make decisions without worrying about the cost to your family or having to put your home up for sale. Uh, and then when it comes to control, decisions about the end of your life, you know that you can receive care and you can refuse to receive care. If you don't wanna be hooked up to machines, if you don't wanna take that next extraordinary step, there's no requirement that you do that. So write a healthcare provider and your family know what you want. And then when it comes to the people who take care of you, have conversations about what you want that care to look like. And those are the things we think are answers to much of the conversation about physician-assisted suicide. And you know, Minnesota spends millions of dollars telling people in the middle of a mental health crisis, your life has values, suicide is not the answer. So let's not muddy the waters by changing our medical conversations, by changing our mental health conversations, by changing our care for one another conversations around um, the value of life. As you, as you say it in those ways, and, and you think about all the things in life, especially at the end of life, from long-term care to other things that we're supposed to plan, we're supposed to think about, but the, the thinking about the end of life, A, is very challenging, B, it's not something, frankly, that people want to think about um, in order to plan. Um, and then you add, you know, maybe a, a terminal diagnosis that maybe you never imagined and you never thought of. But if, if you're of clear mind, is this, I mean, is this only a moral and ethical issue for individuals and, and doctors? Or are there other considerations that you think the groups in the alliance have? that the healthcare system should have, that the state should have. And we're really fortunate. The Alliance crosses political spectrum, it crosses faith perspective perspectives. Um, we have veterans, we have people from the disabled community, we have providers, we have patients. We're speaking with one voice that says life continues to have value. And if the conversation is hard, let's have the conversation. Let's make it as easy as possible. There are healthcare directives, on our website, there are resources for people to start those conversations and to reach out to providers. So I know it's hard. And we don't say this without empathy. Um, having lost my father myself, um, one of the one of the side effects of COVID and working remotely at the legislature is that I could spend a month at a time with my dad as he was um, going through Parkinson's and being able to care for him was never easy. And the first time I had to help him with some highly personal things, he was a little embarrassed. Mm -hmm. And so then it was my responsibility as his daughter to say, it's okay, you know, this is what I get to do. So no, it is not easy. And I don't say these things without empathy, but I do know that if we change the conversation from your life has value to there are some lives that don't have value, it forever changes care in Minnesota. 
one of the things is just kind of how this issue's emerged this past year. And, um, you know, this isn't an issue we've talked a lot about in Minnesota. It's not an issue that's stuck around in the public sphere that visible. Did it come up when you were in the legislature? Did people suggest that maybe we needed to change the laws or is this, um, is this relatively new to Minnesota's policy discussion? I believe it's been introduced every session for more than a decade. And it was discussed. It was brought up as an amendment and there was bipartisan opposition to it. Um, my guest is former Senator Michelle Benson. She's Benson. She's with the Minnesota Alliance for Ethical Healthcare. You've been there. Personal stories are powerful. Um, there's probably going to be dozens and dozens of personal stories as part of this discussion. How do you? How should senators and representatives take those personal stories, especially if if they you know are very compelling about people who would like this option in Minnesota. And there will be compelling stories on both sides. One of the challenges of public policy is to take in those stories and make long-term decisions for the good of the state of Minnesota. And the Alliance, the Minnesota Alliance for Ethical Care, ethicalcaremn.org, has proposed palliative care increases, hospice care increases, making sure that we're supporting people who are disabled and need help so that they don't despair at the end of life. So let's have those conversations as well and make policy decisions that serve Minnesota best long-term. And the position of the Alliance, physician-assisted suicide isn't the best long-term decision for the people of Minnesota. What is, or what are some examples of newer treatments or newer care that, um, that you would argue are, are better or more moral or more ethical? Um, it's not a matter of moral or ethical. It's a matter of those providers helping someone. And we're talking about people who are diagnosed with terminal illness. The way we've changed hospice care, making it available at your home. You don't have to be in a hospital. The understanding in the medical community that having the conversation about not taking more care is an important conversation to have and helping patients understand and advocate for themselves before the time comes that you're in that crisis. Um, I'm a relatively young person. I have a healthcare directive. I've talked with my children and my spouse about what I want that to be. And that's one of the ways that we mitigate some of the fear that comes with a terminal diagnosis or decisions at the end of life. Putting yourself back in the shoes of legislators, have they thought about this? Are they going to hear about it? Uh, how robust do you think the discussion is going to be outside the Capitol, in our communities, in our neighborhoods, in our cafes? I think it's going to be moderately robust. It will not be as contentious as some other issues at the legislature, but there are some highly motivated people um, moving this issue forward. And so let's have that calm straightforward, thoughtful conversation that says life has value. Let's not rush it. Let's treat people with dignity at the end of their life by providing them the supports that they need. The people who have disabilities, people like the veteran that spoke at the hearing the other day, are very concerned about what happens to people who might be otherized 
if physician-assisted suicide continues to move across this country. What do you mean by otherized? Well, there are communities who don't receive the same kinds of care. There are communities who aren't listened to the same way that many of the people who testified might believe that people are listened to. So there are many groups in the the disabled community who are opposed to physician-assisted suicide. There were 75 letters from people speaking against this bill and then veterans coming forward and saying, this isn't the right answer. Um, Veterans have a a higher than the general population suicide rate. Are there any things from... Are there any examples or data or things from other states where this has been legal that legalized that Minnesota should take caution from or learn from? Um, Because, you know, I know advocates talk about how many other states have have passed this and and where we're at. What can we learn from other states that have passed this? We're seeing in European countries that have had these policies in place the longest we see an increase in non-assisted suicides. Okay. So let's think about what we're saying to people who are in a mental health crisis. Your life is valuable, except for. I don't think that, I don't think we need to muddy the waters here in Minnesota. We see in Oregon in particular, there is an increase in suicides compared to peer states. And so let's be cautious about the message that we're sending to both say suicide is not the right answer and then to muddy the waters with, well, sometimes it might be. I don't think it's the right message for Minnesotans. And there's, as you check out on our website, ethicalcaremn.org, there's a broad group of people who don't want this as the answer for Minnesotans. Former Senator Michelle Benson, I know we'll catch up down the line on this and many other issues. Thanks for joining me on Sunday Tech. Good afternoon. Good morning. Good morning. Good afternoon. It's all the same right now, uh, especially with this w- this weather we're having. When we come back, this week's take, as we approach the legislative session with volatility in the air, what do we need to keep sane and stable throughout the legislative session and 2024? I'm Blaise Olson. You're listening to Sunday Take on News Talk 830 WCCO. Welcome back to Sunday Take. Uh, the take this week is really about this upcoming session and the facets of it that you should follow. At the beginning of the show, I talked about the Senate DFL, but as you unpack the Senate DFL politics, know that even though the Senate isn't up until 2026, there could be a chance for Republicans to take back the majority, that will mean that senators will want to try to pass some more progressive changes or different laws while they have power. Because in a year from now, they might not have power. If Kelly Morrison is the new congressperson from the 3rd Congressional District, she'll resign her Senate seat. And there could be a time when that's 34-34. Does she resign after session to allow a special election to happen during the general election? That's a possibility because there's unlikely to be a special session where Democrats would need her vote. Carrie Dietzik, what does she do? How is her health? 
Her health is more important than politics, but it changes the dynamics when you only have a one-seat majority. And the divide in the caucus is deep. It's personal, it's political, and it's policy-related. And there's going to be harder-edge politics within the DFL on key issues this session than last. So that leads us to what can the Senate agree on? What can they get bipartisan votes on? That may create some more mainstream issues. But the bonding bill starts in the House, and that means that they're going to have to find a global deal on a bonding bill if they want Republican votes. But Republicans in both the House and the Senate are not going to have any motivation to move forward on a bonding bill early in the session. It doesn't make sense. Because that's when they have leverage is at the end of the session. And we saw that last year. So fast forward through the session to these dynamics. Then you have the House. All members of the House are up, and we've had a fair amount of retirements. Those retiring members might have projects, key things that they want to get done in their final term, or they may not care what gets done, and they just want to get out of there. Then you have the energetic, historic, we did it all last session, let's do just as much this session ideologues. And they are going to be slowed by Governor Walls and likely Speaker Hortman into, you know, what make sure you really are trying to get some stuff done in a thoughtful manner. Then you have the governor. His administration has a lot to get to, a lot to operate. And the smooth rollout of some of these new state laws, like Cannabis Director, are going to impact the mood of the electric going into 2024 and in 2026. So there's no simple answer on how this session plays out. There is unsettled business from last session. There are new issues like regulatory policy-related issues. Then you have fixes to the cannabis bill, Mary V fixes to the tax bill, which as soon as you open up a bill, it's going to turn into something big, a big discussion. You can change more than just one thing. And those are the kind of things that are tougher to manage through leadership or through a caucus because the amendments can happen in committee. Horse trading can happen behind the scenes and then it appears in a bill. And does that bill have a hearing? We know the election is going to be about policy, spending, the state office building. But it's not clear what the session is going to be about other than bonding. And so as listeners to the show and folks who follow things closely or have pet issues that they want to make sure you get done. Just know that this is going to be one of those sessions that every single day there's going to be something new and a curveball or a change or something that's different. The process isn't pretty. The sausage making metaphor is way too old and overused. But my take on this session is It might be the last chance that you see 
Minnesota operate in a trifecta and where they need bipartisan votes. Because odds are we're either going to have a trifecta for a long time or we're going to be back to divided government soon. As soon as next year. With that, I welcome you to tune in Monday through Thursday. I'll be with Vanita at 620. Next week, we'll go deep into the issues and the politics of the session. And then next Sunday, we'll have Sunday Take. That's the take. I'm Blois, and I'm out of here for a week. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 